I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you uh, came in. You know, uh, what I decided to do uh, this morning, I I knew with this being the 4th of July uh, weekend that we would uh, have a lot of our people out. And you know, I've been in a uh, study of the book of Hebrews, and we've been going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. We are presently in uh, chapter uh, 12, and I really didn't want to go forward in that study knowing that uh, many of our folks would be out. So I thought I would bring a message that would just reinforce uh, the truth that we looked at last Sunday. So if you uh, look there at the introduction in your sermon notes, it sort of uh, tells us where we were last Sunday and then where the focus will be today. Uh, in our last message from our study of the book of Hebrews, we examined the exhortation to run the Christian race with endurance in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. This morning, uh, we will correlate James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, to discover how to run the race with endurance. Now, last Sunday, we did look briefly at the James passage, but I believe it would be very beneficial for us this morning to examine this uh, much, much more carefully. And before we look at the James passage, let's remind ourselves one more time, what does it mean to run the race and win it? To run the Christian race and win it. And as we saw, as we discovered the last couple of weeks, the Christian race in the Bible is a metaphor for living the Christian life. And the race is described more in the terms of a marathon than a sprint. Uh, The race begins with your conversion to Christ. Uh, These five ladies that were baptized uh, this morning, they recently came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. At that point of their conversion, their race for Christ began. The race ends at death when you cross the finish line to be embraced by Christ. Winning the race involves staying true to Jesus in three primary areas. And we, we saw this from the scripture over the last couple of weeks. First area is becoming more like Jesus Christ. In other words, acquiring by God's grace the character and the conduct and the attitude of Jesus. Second, making Jesus known to others. As you become like him, as his character is formed in you, then you are to display, to extend, express his character to others that they might come to know him. And then the third area, to maintain your faith, to maintain your confidence in God all the way through to the finish line. And that's what winning means. It's not just crossing the finish line. It's how you run the race. The lessons learned as you run the race. And that's why every believer has an opportunity to win. Every opportunity has the opportunity to earn their reward with God. As in the race, they are becoming more like Him to make Him known to others. And as they maintain their faith in Him, their confidence in Him. So look now at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And they're printed right there for you in your sermon notes. James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith 
produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now first, let's look at four realities I must be prepared for. Four realities that we are all going to have to face as we run the Christian race. And here's the first one. Adversity will be inevitable. Adversity will be inevitable. It will be inescapable. Notice James said, not if, but what? When you encounter various trials. The believer who thinks the race is going to be easy is in for a very big shock. Uh, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have what? You know it, tribulation. The Apostle Paul said, through many, and notice his emphasis on the word many, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's another way of saying before you cross the finish line, there are going to be many tribulations, many trials, many adversities. And the Apostle Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you. Matter of fact, the very word race in Hebrews 12, when it says we are to run the race with endurance, in the Greek text, it's the Greek word agon, from which we get our word agony. You know what the definition of agony is? Extreme, extreme physical or mental suffering. Synonyms are pain, hurt, torture, torment, anguish, affliction, and trauma, all of which are inescapable realities in running the race. You know, one of the biggest mistakes made by believers, especially young believers, new believers, is to enter the race with unrealistic expectations. You know, going into the race with this uh, mistaken notion that God somehow is going to give you a special immunity from all the pains, from all the ills of this world. Unrealistic expectations lead to a dead end. Leads to a dead end of disappointment and anger with God. If you go into the race thinking God's going to make it easy, and then suddenly it's not easy, there's lots of adversity, you're going to begin to struggle with the notion, well, God has failed me. God has let me down. This is going to lead to fatigue. It's going to lead to discouragement. And if you stay there long enough, you're going to give up in despair. But here's the reality, and mark it down. The race will not be easy for anyone. The race is going to be hard. It is going to be in agony. God has not promised to make the race easy, but he has promised to give the strength needed to run the race, to give the strength needed to endure the race. And as you endure that race, to become more like Jesus with an opportunity to make him known and see your faith grow. 
So the first reality of the race is adversity is going to be inevitable. You can mark it down. Second reality, adversity will not only be inevitable, it will be unpredictable. It will be unpredictable. James says, notice, when you encounter various trials, circle that word encounter, which I have, have in caps. The word is parapipto in the Greek text, and you know what it literally means? It literally means to fall into unexpectedly. That's what the word literally means, to fall into unexpectedly. The idea is that without warning, you are going to be blindsided by adversity as you run your race. Adversity that will threaten to crush you. Adversity that will threaten to defeat you. And here's reality, very seldom, and we know this in life, you know this from your life, very seldom can we anticipate the adversities that we're going to encounter along the way. We're typically caught off guard by them, surprised by them. You, you can't anticipate them. Adversity will be unpredictable. So adversity will be inevitable, it will be unpredictable. Look at the third reality, adversity will be varied in kind varied in kind. He says, when you encounter, notice the word various trials. The word in the Greek for various, it's a fascinating word. It literally means multicolored. That's what the word literally means, multicolored. Adversity, in other words, comes in all shapes and in all sizes. They vary in intensity, they vary in kind, and they vary in duration. Some adversity would be considered minor inconveniences. Other adversity would be what a major crisis in life. So adversity will be inevitable, unpredictable, varied in kind. But now we come to the fourth reality, and this is a wonderful good truth. Adversity will be purposeful. Adversity will be purposeful. Notice James wrote, the testing of your faith, what's that next word? Notice, produces endurance. Adversity produces something. At least that's God's intent in allowing adversity to come into your life, to produce something. See, the good news is, that God has a beneficial purpose behind every adversity you encounter in life. There was an old uh, Bible teacher by the name of Alexander McLaren, and uh, one of uh, his great statements is that in every adversity, there is a message from the heart of God, and that is very, very true. In 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 8 and 9, these verses are not in your sermon notes, but they, they read this way. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again, and we keep going. We keep running. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what enables the believer to keep running even when we encounter adversity? Well, Paul gives the answer later in that same chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verses 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, you know, despite these adversities, we do not lose heart. We do not become discouraged. 
But although this outer man of ours is slowly deteriorating, the inner man is being renewed by God with the strength that he gives. And then he says, for momentary, listen to this now, he says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The word producing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, is the exact same word that James uses here in chapter 1. The testing of our faith produces. Adversity, in other words, beloved, mark this down. Adversity produces spiritual profit. Adversity produces spiritual profit. What does Romans 8.28 tell us? And we know that God what? Causes all things to work together for our good. Now this verse does not say that God causes everything that happens. Many adversities are the result of our own sin or someone else's sin. But what the verse does say is that absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, this is an ironclad guarantee to God, from God to the believer, absolutely nothing can touch your life that God cannot use to produce spiritual good. And it makes no difference, listen to this now, it makes absolutely no difference if the adversity is the consequence of your sin or someone else's sin. It makes absolutely no difference if it's a satanic attack or a God-ordained adversity. If you submit to God, choosing to surrender to Him, to trust Him, to obey Him, God will transform that adversity into your spiritual profit. In other words, from God's perspective, adversities are not obstacles in the race. They are stepping stones. And your response to adversity, your response to the adversity will determine if you cross the finish line a winner or not. And what is the key? What is the key to responding to adversity? It's placing confidence in God. To accomplish the next three promises that you see in your notes. Three promises that God has given us to give us hope as we encounter the inevitable and inescapable adversity that we will face running the race. And here's the first promise. God will use adversity to purify my faith. God gives me this guarantee. Andy, as you run your race, yes, you're going to encounter adversity. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be hard. But if you look to me, if you put your confidence in me, I'm going to use that adversity, Andy, to purify your faith. He says, knowing that the testing of your what? Faith. When you encounter an adversity, the first purpose of God is to not only test, but to strengthen your faith. You know, Christians are a lot like tea bags. That's right, tea bags. You do not know what's on the inside until you drop them into hot water. And then you find out pretty quick. The adversities we encounter provide an opportunity not only to prove the authenticity of our faith, of our relationship with Jesus, but also to strengthen our resolve to trust and obey God. 
Could God have kept Joseph out of prison? Remember Joseph in the Old Testament who was betrayed by his brothers, then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of attempting to violate her? As a result, this innocent man spent years, years in a dark dungeon of despair, an Egyptian prison. Well, could, could God have kept Joseph out of prison? Well, let me ask you nothing. Could God have kept Daniel out of the lion's den? Could God have kept Meshach and his brethren from the fiery furnace? Could God have kept Paul from being hungry? Remember the list we saw last week about uh, all the trials Paul went through as we lifted him up as an example of endurance? Well, could God have kept Paul from hunger, from being severely beaten, from being put in jail, and then eventually executed for his faith in Jesus? Well, of course, the answer is yes. But God allowed these adversities to happen in the life of his choice servants in order to display the authenticity of their faith to others and to strengthen their resolve and their trust to obey him. And that is why God has allowed the adversity you're going through right now. Yes, we have a sovereign God. Yes, he could have kept you from it. But he allowed it to happen. And he allowed it to happen not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Because he is your best cheerleader. He wants you to cross that finish line a winner. And what does it mean to win? Remember, we talked about three things, and one of those things is what? Maintaining faith all the way through the race and seeing that faith strengthen right through the finish line. Well, because God wants you to be a winner, He allows adversity to come to give you an opportunity again not only to demonstrate that your faith is authentic, it's the real deal, but to strengthen that faith so that you might be a winner and to know His eternal reward. Did you know that a jeweler will often place a diamond in clear water to test if it's genuine or not? See, a real diamond, when it's placed in water, it will literally sparkle with a very special brilliance. On the other hand, an imitation stone will have almost no sparkle at all. In the same way, one of the ways to test the genuineness of a person's faith is to immerse that person in the waters of adversity. Real faith shines. Counterfaith, counterfeit faith whines. So how about you right now? Are you shining for Jesus in your adversity? Or are you whining to Jesus in your adversity? Look at the second promise that God has given us. Not only will he use the adversity uh, to uh, purify my faith, but he will use the adversity to fortify my staying power. That's our greatest need in the race, right? Staying power, endurance. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces endurance, James says. 
The word translated endurance literally means, and we saw this last week, the ability to stay under pressure. That's what the word means, the ability to stay under pressure and not crack under the pressure. The thought, and this is very important, the thought is not the passive acceptance of circumstances, but a courageous perseverance in the face of difficulty. In other words, endurance isn't the thought that I'm in the midst of a storm and I'm going up against this, this tremendous wind and I'm just grabbing something and hanging on for dear life. No, it's me putting my head down and continuing to advance in the storm, against the wind, through the adversity. That's the idea of endurance. That, that, that courageous perseverance that does, doesn't weather the storm but continues to advance in the midst of the storm. See, the idea is maintaining a consistent Christian walk no matter the circumstances. That's the simple thought. Maintaining a consistent Christian walk no matter the circumstances. See, every adversity, don't miss this, every adversity provides an opportunity to build up your spiritual muscles. Every problem gives you the opportunity, right, to discover God's solution in the Bible and then to rely on God's strength to attack the problem and be victorious. And that's one of the ways that God uses adversity to build endurance in our lives. He allows the adversity to come. The adversity shows us how dependent, how desperate we are on God. We flee to God's Word. We search God's Scripture. We find God's truth that relates to this area. We then go by faith placing our confidence in this truth, stepping out in obedience, and trusting God will give us the victor, victory. And please understand, and this is so important, the, the crucial nature of endurance, why it is so important. God does not, listen now, God does not want you to give up before the adversity accomplishes its God-given purpose. God, that's why endurance is so important. God does not want you to give up before it accomplishes its God-given purpose. See, when we get in the midst of adversity, we are often perplexed, as Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4. We don't understand why things are happening. We don't understand initially why God allowed this to happen. It's like a, it's like a mystery novel. And you know the nature of a mystery novel is not, not typically till you get to the last chapter, even the last page, that everything comes together and you, and you see the reason behind everything. Well, folks, the biggest mistake you can make as a believer is shut the book up too quick on God before you get through to the end. And that's why endurance is so very, very important. God wants you to endure all the way until the end until you receive his reward. That's what he's after, to give you reward. In James 1, verse 12, we read, listen to this, James 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Why? For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. At the very end of the Apostle Paul's life, right before he was beheaded, for his faith in Jesus, he wrote these words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. 
See, don't miss this. The trophies and the medals are not presented until the race is finished. I've mentioned before, you know, we've been real proud of Carissa and all the medals that she's won, won related to Special Olympics, her swimming. Well, she didn't get any of those medals before she raced. They didn't come until after the race. And it's the same with you and I. We need to keep our eyes on what? Eternity. Because it's there where we'll experience our reward. And without endurance, what? You're never going to make it to the award platform. So adversity not only purifies my faith, it fortifies my staying power. And then look at the third promise God gives me. God will use adversity to sanctify my character. Not only to strengthen my faith, not only to build endurance, my staying power, but He will use the adversity. He gives me this promise. Andy, if you'll trust me, I'm going to use this adversity to sanctify your character. Notice He says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The words perfect and complete simply refer to maturing. The word perfect doesn't have the idea here of sinless perfection. It has the idea of coming to, getting to that desired outcome, to that desired destination. And the point here is that God desires to use adversity to mature you in Christ-like character. And that's God's number one goal in your life, right? God's number one goal in your life is not necessarily happiness in this life, but holiness. You're going to have an eternity to know nothing but perfect joy and bliss. And so this life is not going to always be easy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be sorrowful days. But this is part of God's plan to build Christ's character in you. See, you're, listen now, your circumstances are temporary. Your circumstances are temporary, but the character they produce lasts forever. Your circumstances are temporary, but the character they have the potential to produce, that's forever. And that will determine your eternal reward. In Romans chapter 5, again, not in your sermon notes, but in verses 3 and 4 we read, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Did I really read that right? That's what it says. We can rejoice. Rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Why? Because we know they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient and patient and patience develops strength of character. Now, practically speaking, how does God do this? I've shared this with you in the past, so I won't take long, but I'll let me remind you. God simply determines the character quality you need to work on. And then he puts you in the opposite situation. For example, God says, Janet, I want to teach you a little greater dosage of love. So what does he do for Janet? Because he loves her, doesn't hate her, he loves her, he wants to accomplish his purpose in her life. He brings a very unlovely person into her life. A person that's very difficult to love. A person that's very hard to love. To give her the opportunity to love like Jesus loved. To love unconditionally. Well, how about if God 
wants to teach me patience. He says, okay, Andy, you need to learn a good dose, a little greater doses of patience. So he brings in my life some very irritating people. Or, or irritating circumstances. Or he makes me wait a long time for what I'm asking for to give me an opportunity to learn patience. How about if he wants to teach you peace? He's going to bring a storm into your life to drive you to Jesus where you can find peace in the midst of the storm, where you can find a quality of faith that's not impacted by adverse circumstances but is rooted in Jesus Christ. How about forgiveness? He wants to teach us all to forgive as Christ forgave. Well, if he wants to teach you to forgive, what is he going to allow to come into your life? A person that will wound you. A person that will betray you. A person that will hurt you. And it's not again that God ordains or causes it directly. We live in a fallen world. There are so many opportunities. So instead of God intervening and keeping you from that, He allows that person to put the knife in your back. He allows that person to betray you. He allows that person to wound you. Again, not because He hates you, because He loves you, and He wants to give you an opportunity to learn to forgive as Christ forgave, because eternal reward is determined by the depth of Christ-like character. And the greater the character, the greater the reward. And therefore, the deeper the hurt, the greater the opportunity to learn is to forgive as Christ forgave. So that is why falling into bitterness is such a tragic thing for a believer. It's such a waste. It not only destroys you. You know, bitterness is like, you've heard me say this before, it's like drinking poison, thinking it's going to hurt the person that hurt you. When in reality, all bitterness does is destroy you. And it prevents you from knowing and learning the lessons God has for you and missing the wonderful eternal reward that God has for you. How about if He wants to teach you joy? He's going to allow sorrow to come in your life, tragedy, grief, to teach you to find a happiness in Jesus and that is not dependent upon circumstances, but Jesus who lives within. How about contentment? He's going to allow you to suffer loss so you can find true satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. And that's one of the great lessons in Job that we often miss. Why did God allow all that to happen to Job? Well, there are many answers to that question. I mean, there was a contest going on between God and the devil that Job never knew anything about. And God wanted to demonstrate the authenticity of Job's faith. But from Job's perspective, what God was doing, God wanted to bring Job to the place. And he finally got there at the end of the book. Where Job could honestly say, in integrity, for me, God is enough. God is enough. You can take my children... You can take my health, you can take my wealth, you can take my reputation, you can strip me of everything. But as long as I have Jesus, that's enough for me. And that's where God wants to bring every believer. And that's how he uses adversity. So problems purify my faith, fortify my 
patience and sanctify my character. Very quickly, look at three running techniques I must apply. The first one is the matter of focus. Focus. Any runner knows it's very important where you place your attention as you run the race, where you place your eyes. Every track coach would tell you, you know, you're not to be looking around, getting distracted by the other runners or different people in the stands or whatever's going around. You have to stay focused on the race. You stay focused on that finish line. And for us, we stay focused on that finish line because who's at that finish line? Jesus. And that's why I, I love that James says, consider it all joy. And I put that there because that takes us back to what? Hebrews 12. Remember last week? Here it says, consider it all joy. Hebrews 12 said what? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, it said, who suffered such hostility at the hands of sinful men so that you don't grow weary and be discouraged. That's where it says, looking unto Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn away from your circumstances. Turn away from the adverse. Fix your eyes. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. Jesus, the one who has already run the race and won it, who's not only your coach who will instruct you, but he's the one that will enable you through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you to find a renewed strength, even in the midst of adversity, to continue to go forward. And I can consider it all joy because what? God is in control. That's why it's so important to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, to realize in the midst of the adversity, God is in control. It's not the devil's in control. Sinful men are not in control. And believe me, folks, where we are right now in our nation, God is still on the throne. God is still in control. We don't need to panic. God will provide. He's never promised the church religious liberty in any society. What He's promises is the grace to shine for Him. And what do, have we discovered in the New Testament throughout all church history? Wherever the church is persecuted, it flourishes. Again, another example. God can use adversity to produce what? Profit. And yes, we're going to go through difficult days in this nation. Believe me, we will as a church. We will as Christians. This is a different day where we're going to be called to stand alone and in very difficult times. But God is allowing this because he loves his bride, because he wants to perfect his bride and strengthen her. So we have to remember, God is in control. I, uh, you remember the book of Habakkuk, when he got so upset with God? We, I won't go into a lot of detail. You know, he was mad with God. He didn't think God was fair. He didn't think God cared. He began to whine. He was discouraged. He was growing weary. And as I've told you many times from this pulpit, God typically doesn't give explanations to you, but he'll give you promises to latch hold of, to strengthen your faith. And that's what he did to Habakkuk. And one of the promises he gave to Habakkuk was this. He said, Habakkuk, shh, I'm still on the throne. I'm in control. Are you willing to trust me? Because Habakkuk, the just, live by faith. Knowing that the end of this show 
is already fixed. The game's fixed. We know what the outcome's going to be. Look at the second running technique that is so important. Not just focus, but attitude. Attitude. It's so important to maintain a positive attitude as you run the race, even when you encounter adversity. Now, how in the world do you maintain a positive attitude? Because you know something. And that something you know is God. And you know that God is committed to use his adversity for your good. So that last point, God has a design. God has a design. He's not only in control, but he has a design. You may not see it right now. You may not understand. It may just hurt like the dickens. You may be weeping. You may be just lying in a puddle right now. But God has a design. And God wants to pick you back up. And God wants you to keep you, he wants you to keep you going forward that you might win the race. And then look at the third thing. And this is so simple. But important, keep advancing. What great advice. It's keep advancing. In other words, he says, let endurance. Notice that little word, let. It indicates we have to cooperate with God. God is willing to do his part, but we must reciprocate by surrender through faith, through trust, through obedience, by continuing to advance, not giving up, not caving in to despair, but to advance. See, you if you haven't figured this out, let me, let me let you know something. You can't get to the finish line without going forward. You can't get to the finish line without going forward. And it's at the finish line where you're going to know true joy, where you'll be met with Jesus, where you'll know your eternal reward. And so here we see God will be what? Faithful. That's why I can keep advancing. That's why I can continue to endure. Because I know my God will be faithful. He will not let me down. Everyone else around me may let me down, but He won't let me down. So I realize God is in control as I run this race. He has a design for every adversity I encounter, and He's going to be faithful. So I continue to focus on Him with a positive attitude and continuing to advance. Amen? So what have we learned today? Four realities as you run the race. I wish it wasn't this way, but it is. Adversity will be inevitable, unpredictable, varied in kind, but praise God, it will be purposeful. And God gives you three promises, three ironclad guarantees that God will use the adversity you encounter to purify your faith, to give you greater staying power, and to sanctify your character, to make you more like Jesus Christ. And realize then the importance to focus on Him. To focus on Him, maintaining a positive attitude, continuing to advance, knowing God is in control, He has a design, and He will be faithful. Father, thank You. Uh, Again, for the wonderful truth of your word, uh, for, the, for the practicality of your word, and, and how your truth meets us uh, where we are in life's trials and adversities. How your truth has the power uh, to encourage, uh, to build up, to correct where correction is needed. 
to give guidance where guidance is needed, to, to give comfort and renewed strength where that is needed. So, Father, we thank you for your uh, marvelous love uh, for us, your children. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for running the race ahead of us. And, uh, and you came to this world, and you were not immune from its ills and its pains. You suffered at the hands of men, uh, yet you rose victorious as you stayed uh, true to your Father. And now, Lord, thank you that uh, we are to walk as Jesus walked, we are to follow in his footsteps. Lord, we acknowledge we cannot do this in our own strength. We acknowledge our utter and total dependence upon you, that we're desperate for you. But we thank you, even as we acknowledge that, we have your promise that you are the power at work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So, Father, thank you. You have not left us without the resources to run the race, to win the race. We lack nothing. We need but look within, uh, not again to our resources, but the resources you've deposited within us when we were converted to your precious Son, Jesus. So give us the grace, give us the strength now to run, to win. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.